Hello, and welcome to A History of Hannibal, Episode 10, The Siege of Lillibium, Part 1. The Towers. In war, ideally you want to win everything. Every battle, every siege, every point of contention. Unless you are extremely lucky, this isn't going to happen. It is fine to lose a few skirmishes, a few battles here and there, but some battles are decisive. The result will drastically affect the rest of the war. These are battles both sides need to win, at all costs. The Siege of Lillibium is one such example, and will be the focus of today's episode. But before we get into that, there are other matters to discuss such as why this episode is out one week late. Basically, last Sunday, my voice rapidly deteriorated to a hoarse whisper, and no one wants to listen to that for 20 minutes. Not to mention the pain of talking, and that I could barely utter a sentence without a coughing fit breaking out. I am now mostly better, as I sit here with my boiled water, honey and juice concoction, thoughtfully recommended by listener Michelle on Twitter to get me through this recording. Thanks to all of you who have sent kind messages on Twitter or Facebook, hoping I recover. I really appreciate it. But enough of my various ailments. We have a war to discuss. So, where are we? What is the situation? It is 250 BC. The two Roman consuls, Regulus, and Manlius, are leading out the new Roman fleet of 120 ships to Lillibium. Their aim was that if Lillibium were captured, the focus of the war would shift to Africa. In a desperate effort to avoid this, the Carthaginians put all their efforts into maintaining control of the city. Lillibium was an important Carthaginian city, located on Cape Lillibium the western point of Sicily. To the north was the Sardinian Sea, and to the south, the Libyan Sea. Lillibium was only 115 miles from Carthage. It was strongly protected in a number of manners. Firstly, there were the huge walls. Then around these walls was a moat, which, according to Diodorus, was 90 feet wide and 60 feet deep. Even further out, on the seaward side, there were lagoons, making the harbour treacherous to navigate into. The Romans would have to overcome these obstacles if they wanted to take the city. The first thing they did was build two camps, one on either side of the city, exactly as was done when taking Agrigentum several years previously. Exactly as before, the area between the two camps was fortified. Slowly, they began to move the siege works forward, on the side facing the southerly Libyan Sea. Slowly, but surely, they managed to demolish six towers. Each day saw further progress. The speed hastened. Lullabyum was suffocating in an atmosphere of confusion as the unstoppable Roman legions moved forward. Terror filled the hearts and minds of the populace, They were doomed. While the citizens in the streets were panicking, the Carthaginian general, Himilco, 
and his force of 10,000 Celtic and Greek mercenaries were able to stay level-headed. They resisted. If the walls and towers were being destroyed, new walls would be built behind them. The Romans used siege works. Those siege works would then be sabotaged. Bitter, hard skirmishes followed each new raid. The loss of life was high. While the Carthaginian officers were not panicking, they were seriously concerned by how things were turning out. The officers began to voice these concerns to each other. Before long, a plot had broken out to betray Lillibime to Rome. Several of them sneaked out of the city to the Roman camp by night. During the siege of Agrigentum, similar events had happened. Syracusan mercenaries had plotted to hand the city over to Rome, but were found out by a Greek called Alexon. It just so happened that the same Alexon discovered this conspiracy and reported the matter to Himilco. Himilco summoned the officers. He spoke to them with all the eloquence he could muster, asking them to stay loyal. Well, asking isn't the right word. Bribing is more appropriate. They were all offered lavish rewards if they stayed. The prospects of rewards was enough to keep them there. The officers then went to the troops and made the same promises to them. The troops had the same reaction as the officers. Their loyalty was assured. As the officers who had gone over to Rome to surrender returned, they found not a ready reception as they had been expecting, but were instead forced out of the city. Lillibium was saved. Unaware of how close they had come to losing the city, the Carthaginian government was doing its best to keep Lillibium theirs. Hannibal, son of the Carthaginian commander Hamilcar, was sent to relieve Lillibium. And no, this is not that Hannibal. Our Hannibal, also a son of a Hamilcar, would not be born for another three years. Anyway, Hannibal made his way to Lillibium, with his fleet carrying 10,000 reinforcements. The Romans were caught off guard by this, and, well, did nothing. Absolutely nothing. They were scared of being swept into the harbour of the city, and being surrounded by enemies, so they just let Hannibal sail into the harbour. This changed the dynamic of the siege. The advantage had been with Rome since the siege began. Confidence now swung in favour of the Carthaginians. The populace were happy that they had reinforcements. But the Romans doing nothing, that was what really lifted their spirits. The troops too were confident. The old garrison because of the new arrivals. The new arrivals because they had no idea what was waiting for them. Himilco was not one to do nothing at such a time, and so riled up the men, and led them on another raid on the Roman siege works. The troops were inspired, yet again, by promises of rewards. As first light spread over the city next dawn, his troops stormed out of the city to damage the Roman siege works. The Romans had been expecting exactly this to happen, and were prepared to deal with the situation. 
A full-scale battle broke out outside the walls. All 20,000 Carthaginians, and even more numerous Romans. This was not a battle like Galgamela or Canai, which was decided by generals and tactical decisions. There were no formations in this battle. The manner in which it broke out prevented this. This battle was decided by the judgment of each individual, lost in a sea of blood and noise. One is reminded of Troy and the great duels between the legendary heroes. I'm sure your average Roman grunt, young Publius the Hastati, away from home for the first time on his first campaign, was loving this. No doubt imagining himself to be a Hexer or Achilles, fighting the terrible enemy outside the walls of a great city. The Carthaginians pressed onward towards the siege works, while the Romans desperately defended them. The Carthaginians began to gain the upper hand. They brought torchwood up to the siege engines. But while they were making progress, they still hadn't reached their objective, and were suffering heavy losses. Himilco called his troops to retreat. Despite coming very close to disaster, the Romans held their ground and kept control of the siege works. Hannibal, meanwhile, set out to join Adherbal, the Carthaginian admiral at Drapana, the only other settlement on Sicily that was controlled by Carthage. Drapana was 15 miles from Lilibium. It had a good harbour and was thus considered highly important by the Carthaginians. At Carthage, people were concerned by how the siege was going, and wanted regular reports. But unfortunately, these were hard to come by, as the city was under siege. Yet another Hannibal, known as Hannibal the Rhodian, had a very fast ship, and good knowledge of the lagoons. The Rhodian was able to use both of these factors to regularly sneak into the city, to find out how things were, and then report back to Carthage. The Romans could not do anything. They did not want to end up in the harbour, and were fearful of the lagoons, and so did not stop him entering on his first trip. They tried to catch him on his way out, but he was simply too fast for the Romans to do anything about it. Seeing how well the Rodine was faring, several others tried their hand. Highly annoyed, the Romans tried blocking off the entrance to the harbour, but the sea was too deep to be filled. Nothing would stay in place or hold together. They did, though, set up a mound where the sea was already shallow, and one night, an exceptionally fine quadrireme ran aground. The Romans took the vessel and used it to capture the pesky Rodian. The Romans could now, finally, stop those who tried to run the blockade. After the feat, during their last raid on the siege towers, the Carthaginians had given up on damaging them, settling instead for setting up counter-fortifications. As the Carthaginians toiled away, 
the weather grew worse. Soon, there was a full-force gale raging around the Labime. Some of the soldiers noticed an opportunity. The Greek mercenaries noticed the Roman siege towers were not faring well in the gale. Perhaps it was time for another assault on the siege works. The Carthaginian officers embraced the idea. The younger troops threw lightened bands onto the siege works. They soon caught on fire. In the wind, the flames soon spread. The Romans were completely overwhelmed, having no idea what was going on. Imagine, once again, our young Publius. He isn't on guard duty. He's in camp with his friends, perhaps playing a game of dice. As much as he tries to hide from the wind, he can still hear it whistling through the gaps in the wooden walls. All of a sudden, there is shouting, voices saying, Get out here! Publius rushes outside, unable to see anything. The smoke is so thick. Eyes stinging, breath wheezing. Publius tries to get some idea what is going on. Out of the dark clouds of smoke, he can see the outline of the great siege towers burning. There are sparks and embers everywhere. He runs around, trying to help, with no idea what to do. Soon he's out of breath, sweltering, as the heat radiates from all around him. Nothing survived. The siege towers were burned to their very foundations. The siege engines were abandoned. The Romans built a moat and stockade around the city. They further fortified their own camps. The Carthaginians rebuilt the damaged sections of their walls. The two sides stood there, waiting for the outcome of the siege. I'm afraid you two will have to wait to find out what happens next. If you can't get enough of the show, check us out on all the usual places. Thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com Facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast Twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod YouTube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast And the history of podcast at gmail.com If you're on the website, why not support the show? Buy something through the Amazon links. This week, for a recommended purchase, I'm not going to recommend a book, but a CD. Now, last week, to honour the Olympics, I was going to recommend you buy Isles of Wonder. Music for the opening ceremony of the 2012 London Olympic Games. But as the Olympics are now over, I shall instead recommend an album coming out in the next day or so by one of my favourite musical artists. The Midsummer Station by Owl City. I think the best description of the genre is electropop, which quite accurately describes some of the more up-tempo songs such as Good Time or I'm Coming After You. But there are also some slower songs. Silhouette is beautiful. And, for my UK listeners, if you buy that, or any other album, over the MP3 store, 
You can get Isles of Wonder music for the opening ceremony of the 2012 London Olympic Games for only £5. How cool is that? Thanks to Peter John Ross for the music, and thanks to you for listening to my voice today, which has been very horrible and painful to talk. And I'm just going to stop talking now. I'll see you next time, when we continue the siege of the Lullaby.